Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we're your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening around the world of Earth observation at the moment. You can reach us via the podcast webpage, seenfromabove.org, where you'll also find the podcast archive and show notes. We also live on Twitter with a dedicated podcast account, at EOSceneFrom, and using the hashtag SceneFromAbove. Please do follow our Twitter account. I'll do the date first. 19th of November. Um, let's talk about the things launched. 205 things previously, now we're up to 216. I'm expecting a lot more this month. One of the launches has been delayed due to weather conditions. I think that's a SpaceX satellite, but we may be getting closer to 250 by the end of this month because we've got doves on two separate satellites and we've only had four launched this year, doves. Okay. And I had a quick look. There have been 276 doves launched in total. Commonly, the thought is there's about 100 to 120 up there working at the moment. Okay. At Fee Week, uh, there was talk that these new doves are going to be super doves. <laughs> oh, please let them have a cape. That, that's not me being a little bit dismissive or patronising at all. That's, that's just, you know, adding emphasis to the word super. Super doves, um, I think that means perhaps more spectral brands. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be very cool. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Also in launch news, when we started almost a year ago, podcast veterans, <laughs> I remember talking about sovereign type satellites. I think it may have been Morocco that I, that I mentioned. Uh, we've got another one going up from Morocco, but it's due on Tuesday. So, th- you know, these things are gathering interest. That's great news. Okay, so on to the news. There was this article published on the BBC about counting whales from space. Yes, this got a lot of traction outside of just EO people. Yeah, it's a nice thing to do. And, you know, it focuses on the high-resolution capabilities of Worldview 3. It's just another tool into the many ways of mapping these large mammals. I think that one of the perhaps surprising aspects of this boom in the temporal nature of EO is the impact on the blue economy. Yes. It's a nice byproduct of data that perhaps in the past would have not been collected. I suppose a lot of the applications in the past have been very much sort of on the sea surface, as it were. So can we see where the ships are? Can we track where the ships are going? Can we see what oil slicks are left by the ships. Now we get stories like this where you can see things in the sea, so like whales. And I saw something again a couple of weeks ago, which was about the decline in sea kelp, I think, um, in the the kelp forests down the west coast of the USA. And that was all being monitored from satellite as well. And I think it's really cool. Yeah, maybe we ought to do a thing about the sort of blue economy and and satellite monitoring at some point. I get the feeling that it was a bit of an unexpected benefit of this new age of high temple data it's nice when these things capture the public's imagination a bit i just want to bring up something that i saw a blog post basically um which is an interesting proposal that's being made around something that's being called sentinel hr we'll put the link to the blog post in the show notes because the authors of that blog post are looking for comments on their idea and the idea is 
a future Sentinel mission called Sentinel HR, where you'd be looking at openly available metric resolutions, so metric spatial resolution optical mission, which would be pretty amazing. We have this amazing Sentinel-2 data set that's there 10 meters. If we can get right down into the sort of one or two meters, then I think that would be quite cool. So yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes and please do put some comments down. So I wanted to quickly talk about this blog post that I found called Locating Dams from Space, a novel approach. Interesting blog post on Medium. This has got huge traction, you know, 795 claps on Medium. That's an enormous amount for a remote sensing EO piece of work. And they're trying to identify dams. Previously, we'd only have the larger dams mapped, whereas now you can potentially map them all. We're moving towards a position where instead of looking at a map or looking up a database you basically just query your own data the database is almost in the image and you can use your own um, inbuilt skills libraries whichever way you want to address it to get the information out of it yeah it was a really interesting read that actually segues nicely into another set of tools that I've seen being mentioned recently, which is EOLearn. I don't know if you've come across this. EOLearn is an open source Python library, and it's trying to bridge earth observation and data science machine learning stuff. I haven't installed it and used it, but it looks really interesting. It's trying to help non-EO experts find satellite data and and sort of um, remote sensing data and make the use of that easier for them but it's also trying to bring computer vision machine learning and deep learning tools and there's a lot of this going on at the moment trying to bring those tools into earth observation i haven't used it but i'm well aware of it i need to spend some time looking at it certainly things like co-registration that's pretty cool to say the least i think it was in our last podcast we mentioned raster vision and then with this as yep. well it's so fast moving and it's, it's really exciting if there was a job where I could just try new stuff all the time, that'd be awesome. <laughs> be the person who reads blogs and then tries the stuff people blog about. <laughs> Is that a job? <laughs> I have to say that they have put a whole load of amazing examples. I think I will be trying this out. And, and I love the fact that they're really up for getting the community involved as well. I think that's, the, from my perspective, that's the thing that I really like. This isn't necessarily that new. I think, I think this article came out in late July. But what can you say? The documentation is amazing. <laughs> but nothing ever gets sold on documentation, does it? So, I mean, <laughs> the team that put the documentation together huge respect this is amazing (laughs) to move away from the fanboy stuff for a bit just a quick other thing i saw today which is quite interesting is there's a company called radiant solutions um but it's just been awarded a two million us dollar contract by darpa in the states to look into designing and demonstrating the next generation optical telescope for small satellite constellations so this will be something that'll be worth keeping an eye on Mm. seeing how this comes out not a vast amount of information at the moment about what's going on but i think it's an interesting and exciting little development and be interesting to see what they come up with yeah awesome the only other thing that was on my radar, boom, boom, Um, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) is that it's been ESA fee week. And unfortunately, I've not been. I don't think you've been either, have you? No. So I've not been out there. But some of the tweets that I've seen around it 
suggests that it's absolutely amazing. And I just want to put a little call out to our listeners that if you went, then tweet us on at EOSceneFrom to share with the rest of the podcast community some of your personal highlights from that. We're going to post a link to the YouTube playlist for the event that has a whole host of videos about what happened and, and there's some sort of daily updates if you don't want to go through all of the details. Big slap on the back for Issa. They did a good job with this one. And certainly in terms of the social media, like no one has said it's been anything other than awesome. Yeah. I've watched the day one afternoon showcase mm-hmm. with ISI, Planet, Spire, EU Commission, and someone from the UN, I think. The first thing, the first thing that struck me was that ISI are using QGIS, um, which probably brings us nicely around to what we're going to talk about in a minute. As already mentioned, there's a big launch coming up this week. ISI have got another satellite going up. So ISI are basically SAR in a suitcase. <laughs> and Planet have got dubs on two rockets, I think one by Rocket Lab, I think. I should mention Spire, they they were there and they and they talked about how the cost is falling to launch and they, they said ten million dollar twenty satellites would we'll, we'll do it for you. Um, and you know, that's an order of magnitude cheaper. And yeah. faster than ever been achieved before and that challenging the next mission of the sentinels because these private companies are saying well we can do it cheaper there's just so many things it's been an incredible year In, indeed have you seen the um stuff that john murray's been tweeting about yeah that's yeah i, I feel like we ought to be mentioning that as well because that's <laughs> super cool stuff so he's basically been using deep learning models to try and colorize lidar with sentinel 2 stuff so i mean check that out on twitter but yeah we, like you say there's there's so much stuff we need to to try and uh, filter it in a, a sensible way yeah well we only have 25 minutes of your time I'm afraid. <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and that's it for the news i reckon cool okay um so on to our topic Really, I think what we wanted to do was was come back to open source software, particularly around Earth observation. And uh, I know that we've we've spoken about open source software a bit back in season two, episode two, uh, as part of the wider set of tools that are available to people to use. And we've talked about GDAL quite a lot in various different uh, episodes. But I think what we're trying to get across here is really a little bit more of an in-depth discussion. I think I might go off at a few tangents, but... <laughs> we'll, we'll allow you that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe then I will just make a quick list of software and I will break it down into three categories and then we can see where the discussion gets us after that. So from my perspective, the main sort of open source softwares for Earth observation specifically are the Orfeo toolbox and there's a graphical front end that goes with that as well as command line tools. Then you have the Sentinel toolbox and Snap, that sort of package of software. Interimage is another package and ePhoto which is sort of a photogrammetry type uh, piece of software I think. Then there's the sort of what I'm calling software for grids. So the Saga GIS tools and also PK tools are two of the tool sets that I would put into this. So they're not specifically for Earth observation data, but they work really well and they have a whole set of tools that are designed in part to, to handle Earth observation data. 
And then there's more the sort of OpenGIS that has the raster component with it that can and various plugins. So we're talking of your QGIS, Grass, and GVSIG. I, I recognize there are many other OpenGIS packages that can load up rasters and maybe do some very basic things, but I would say these are the ones that you can do Earth observation processing in. So yeah. as with all things open source, that is not an exhaustive list, but I think that captures probably the main ones, hopefully. I had a conversation today with someone actually, and it's and it basically revolves, revolves around this central point, which is don't get fixed to one thing. Make sure that you use the best tool for the job. You need to take a an open stance rather than a closed stance and saying, well, can't, it doesn't work in this, so it doesn't work. Yeah. There are incredible tools. This just goes to show how you can build up an entire workflow using all of these different tools. So I could easily see that I would do some Sentinel-1 processing in the Sentinel toolbox, but then maybe do some optical processing with Orfeo and, and bring it into QGIS to do some display or, or maybe do some modeling in grass. So I think they, they all have their strengths. And like you say, there's, there's no point being locked into to one way of doing it, and, unless, of course, you can ex- maybe extend it yourself. Well, I haven't seen all the, the five-week videos and, and stuff, so I don't know if they mentioned open source software but i really feel that it's a downplayed component of the industry as it is today do you think it's downplayed or do you think it's just accepted as software is now open like software development generally if you're using it for science yeah why would you make it proprietary one of the reasons i think that drives more downloads of open source eo data sentinel landsat you know the like is that there are open source software viewers to get this data. So the barriers to enter are lower. I'm going to make some sweeping statements again, but ecologists, town planners, you know, all these kind of people who would maybe have previously looked at the specialist to say, oh, can you get us a satellite in? What, what is this? You, you know, I just want a picture of the river basin or, or whatever, you know, whatever me as a hydrologist needs to the general public that just wants to do a, project or in academia or um, self-learning open source covers all of these things and it is an enabler to use all this data when i say it is downplayed that's what i mean i i think that it's another essential component software is an essential component for this step change we're experiencing you just seems like a really good place to start i mean that is just incredible really when you think about how it's gone from one guy having an idea to try and and start coding into this huge community with an amazingly stable piece of software that can do so much stuff but also allows people to develop plugins for it and so the obvious one from the earth observation side is the uh, semi-automatic classification plugin the fact that it allows you to put in your credentials for various accounts and download information straight into the into the tool yeah. yeah and then guides you through how to process that you know i think a lot of people who are sort of starting to look at, at gis who like you say wouldn't have necessarily been looking at gis um, data sets and things i don't know five eight years ago something like that they now they've heard of qgis they understand that qgis is easy to install they understand it's relatively simple to to get data into it and up on a map and they can start to look at their site and 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 do the things they need to do that really is a step change because it takes that little mundane 
task of displaying some data away from having to have a specialist on hand, I think it's an opportunity for the specialist as well to start to learn new skills rather than just having to, to service these sort of lower level, can you get me a map of this image or can you put my data over the top of this image? I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine it being less open? The direction of travel is towards open. Yeah. We were in a case where we can distribute this out through the web. It can be shared and an idea can grow into, like you said about QGIS, you know, Quantum GIS started as a viewer for, for Postgres, for PostGIS, and has grown into to a complete GIS system. Yeah. A complete GIS system. And some of the accusations against it now are that it's too complex. <laughs> but the direction of trouble is towards open. There are reasons why proprietary still exists. I don't think proprietary software is dead by any stretch of the imagination. I just think the foundations and the processing has changed. Yeah, I overheard somebody having a discussion with someone else about um, whether or not they should go open source or proprietary on a certain piece of software that they were trying to install. And it it wasn't geospatial software. It was just a normal piece of business software. And it was interesting because... They decided in the end to go down the proprietary route because they thought that by paying for the software, they would get access to better support. I don't buy that argument. I think the support for, through a community for open source software is actually stronger than the support you would get from a single company. In terms of functionality, it didn't really make any difference. Their argument did all come down to this support thing. And yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, everyone makes their own decisions about these things, but I, I really agree with you that in the end, we'll probably end up in some form of 80-20 rule and 80% of the software that people use will be open source because it just makes so much sense from, from my perspective. Like you say, proprietary is never going to go away, but I think it'll become a, a minority player. There's plenty of companies will do you a, a service level agreement for open source. So I agree with your point about that's a little bit of a strange reason to stick with proprietary. Paul Ramsey did a presentation once, and it was interesting because he talked about open versus proprietary, but in terms of word processing, so we have LibreOffice and Word and OpenOffice. Word, you, you can't argue it, it dominates, absolutely dominates. And you know, there's, there are many reasons for this. Paul Ramsey said, the openness didn't make people stop buying Word. What happened was when Google Docs came out was that you could share documents. That cha- that was the game changer. And it's easy. That's the thing. Yeah. That's why I talk about the direction of travel. The direction of travel has to be making it easy. Now, for some people like you and me, it may be a vast array of tools that we couldn't imagine. Can you imagine the power of the toolbox that you have open to you now. I mean, you've listed all these software. I mean, if that was proprietary software 20 years ago, you, you could be talking tens of thousands of pounds a year. Oh, easily, yeah, yeah, exactly. So direction of travel is clear to me. Again, the direction of travel is to make the move easier. The open community, I think, realizes that. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I, I like about this software list that I, I read out earlier is the difference in size and the, the composition of the development teams. 
you know, you have some where it's just one or two people, and then you have others where it might be an academic team, and then you have this huge spread of developers as well for some of the larger projects. And and each piece of software has its own little niche that it does really, really well. So just just for instance, just choosing one of them. So GVSIG is a, I mean, it's not a small project, it's a, it's a decent sized project, GIS package. And the reason I love it is because it has an ECW reader out of the box, um, which means that you can read some of the images that come out of Adas Imagine, which it has a proprietary format. ECW is a proprietary format. And yes, you can try and get GDAL to have certain plugins and things that, that you need to install to make it work. And, and that, that it's a bit of a faff. Whereas I just installed GVSIG on Windows and I was able to open up the imagery. And that was brilliant because then I could export them as a TIFF, which is all I wanted. Boom, I'm done. You know, it was yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. And then PK Tools is also, I will talk about this at any opportunity. I love PK Tools. Basically, it's GDAL, but with a whole little layer of things over the top. Things like classification using artificial neural networks. There's looking at differences between two rasters. There's the ability to uh, composite. There's all sorts of different things. Now, you should go and have a look on their, their website. Finally, just the last one uh, I want to, to make a noise about is Saga. Because um, I, again, I use or have used them a lot in the past for basically 3D stuff. And now that it's in QGIS, maybe I will start to do more 3D stuff in QGIS, I don't know. But I, I know my way through the workflow in Saga now, so possibly I'll stay there. They had support for LiDAR clouds, point clouds, yep. and view those, and a whole raft of tools for gridding them. Yeah, I just wanted to very quickly mention some of the ones that people might have heard of, but not really used. I'm sure there's a there's a whole load of people out there who use these much more often than I do. Uh, and again, if they're listening, then ping us a, a tweet on our account at, at EOSceneFrom and let us know what you think of these different bits of software. Or if you've got a different bit of software that you prefer to use, let us know that. Um, I've got three questions for you. Oh dear, okay. <laughs> no, no, they're not. You know, it's not, I'm not interviewing you. <laughs> but just to sort of wrap this up. Okay. Which is, firstly... Do you get annoyed or cross, or is it justifiable to get annoyed and cross when open source doesn't do what you're hoping it to do? Two, just a very massively broad hypothetical. What happens if we wake up tomorrow on the 20th of November 2018 and Esri have open sourced everything? <laughs> what happens to our ecosystem? And okay. three, should everybody have a GitHub account? Uh, okay. In general, I don't get cross if a piece of software doesn't do what I want it to do because I haven't put any effort into coding that software and I haven't paid any money for that software. So I don't feel that I can really get angry that it's not doing what I, what I want it to do. However, I get frustrated when I can't just easily get software to install onto Linux when I know for a fact the majority of developers use Linux to develop that piece of software. There are various bits of open source software that do this, and it is really frustrating that there'll be a, a one-click installer for Windows, even though 
but in Linux you need this script that pulls down about different repositories and does different things and then you haven't got all the various <laughs> bits you need. And it's just like, really? I mean, that would be a good uh, start for your open source stand-up routine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a lot better than it was. In Linux, there's, there's now a move to effectively create packages for software that are a little bit like the DMG files that you get with Mac that just installs software with everything it needs into one folder and so keeps everything nice and tidy. It'll make everything a lot easier. Right, question number two was if Esri open-sourced everything. <laughs> well, that would be amazing and that would be one heck of a aggressive stance for them to take, I think, because as, a, as an open-source community, you'd have to make sure that all the other software projects had sufficient specialism attached to each of them that the project could keep going. I mean, Esri software can do so much. I mean, I know there's a lot that it can't do and there's a lot that it does in a funny way. But if all of their tools were open source, then I think it would be very difficult to convince current users of Esri products to move to, to other open source software. I think it should be announced on either GIS Day or on... <laughs> I think that it might be a little bit like looting where we're like, whoa, okay, these are all these algorithms that have had 30, 40 years of development are now open. Can we combine them into our software? I think their download website would explode. I mean, it's not going to happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> it might happen, but I think it would be a monumental moment. It would change everything. So it's a bit of a mean question and a bit of a leading <laughs> question. But it's nice to see things from a slightly different angle. Anyway, should we all have GitHub accounts? Now I have a GitHub account. It seems a logical place to keep coding projects that I've worked on and a good showcase portfolio for, for my work. GitHub is owned by Microsoft now. So, you know, you could use GitLab or, or something like that. But the question is perhaps a little bit out of scope of this conversation. But I, my gut feeling is that if you're working with satellite data, GIS stuff, why shouldn't you have a GitHub account? If I'm trying to find information about a certain method, I will go on to GitHub and do a search of GitHub for repositories that are, are linked to yep. whatever it is that I'm, I'm trying to look for. Because you know, nine times out of ten, they're either copies of copies of copies of repositories or they're sort of empty. People have set them up and then not committed any code. But there's a lot of very interesting and useful ideas out there and little bits of proto code that you sort of think well yeah if someone came along they could start to to develop these and submit pull requests back to the the original repository and i suppose that's how that's how the larger project started is someone had an idea they started doing a little something somewhere others got the idea and, and thought oh yeah okay well i can help by doing this and certainly if your day-to-day -day job is processing data then whether you use python or matlab or yeah whatever language i think yeah it'd be useful to have a github account or a, something similar and be able to take advantage of that sort of code ecosystem that's out there yeah i, I think it would be beneficial for people to have one but there's no need for everybody to have one try and wrap it up a bit i i feel incredible gratitude to anybody who's ever contributed an answer or even maybe a question to Stack Overflow or oh, who yeah. did a bit of code to GitHub or posted a blog on a topic or asked a question on a forum or answered a question on a forum. 
for as long as I can remember, in fact, my entire working life, if I don't know the answer, I've gone and searched and found this answer. And to me, this is another component of being open. It's nice to be part of the the bigger picture. And and in some ways, that's sort of why we do this podcast, isn't it? I never want to be seen as lecturing or anything. This is just, these are just opinions. (laughs) that we get wrong. I fully admit we get things wrong all the time. It's wonderful to make mistakes and, and, and learn from the mistakes. We need to make more mistakes and and, and help the learning from that. Fundamentally. I, I, I think we can make more mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> if there was one thing that makes me feel so happy about the community is that there's this willingness to try. Yeah. Just before we go, I just want to make, one more point and that is i mean a lot of the software that we've discussed today and certainly all of the concepts around open source software for geospatial comes under the auspices of osgo which is an organization that promotes open source geospatial software and you can go online you can find out information about them but i just want to point out that there is a uk chapter so uk.osgo.org is the website for the UK chapter. A lot of countries have their own chapters, so if you're not in the UK, check out the the main OSGO website and see if there's a chapter in your in your country. Um, but basically, keep an eye on these organizations and because they, they organize things like FOS4G, which is a huge global conference about free and open source software for geospatial, and, and also... Many countries have their own national or regional conferences as well. So just want to, as we're talking about this topic, I just thought it would be remiss if we yep. missed out on that. Yep. If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSceneFrom or our personal accounts at AJGJogger and at Matt underscore Andrew. Thanks for listening and helping to build a vibrant community around the podcast. That's it for now. So thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Alistair. And goodbye. Goodbye. There's only one person who's made serious money out of GIS, Jack Benjamin. I thought you were going to say it was us. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise! Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.